I challenge all time, I challenge heaven and earth and hell to bring a case in which my Lord and Master ever cast out a soul that put its trust in him. It cannot be. You're listening to I Am, a sermon series at Shoreline Church. For more content, visit thisisshoreline.com. So we're going to open our text today, quite a large text to cover today. We're going to cover portions of it in our exposition this morning. And I encourage you to go back this week and read uh, the sections that we don't cover this morning, verse by verse. But I want to open this morning with a little bit of a poll, all right, kind of a straw poll here in the service. And kids, you may affect this kind of sampling of a survey as we take this together. But I want you to think about for a minute... Those times, and for some of us it's very rare, but those times that you treat yourself to a fancy dinner or a fancy restaurant, those times that you go and you kind of, what's the word, splurge, you go for it. Maybe you're celebrating your anniversary or you're celebrating the fact that you passed a class or you're just celebrating the fact that school is back in and you don't have the kids 24-7, whatever it is you're celebrating. Just think of the place that you go to and the dish that you get. And what I want to for a minute is talk about some What's the right word? Fancy. Some fancy dishes that you might splurge on. So what I want to do is just see a show of hands. Which one of you would would love each one of these or would say, that's kind of going for it. That's going a little little fancy for me. That's what I normally don't eat, but I'm going to go for it and kind of get that. So just show of hands. This is one of my favorites. We'll start with... Bacon wrapped filet mignon. Anyone, anyone go for it? Really, I'm just going for the bacon. Anything wrapped with bacon is a yes. I'll take it. Anyway. Uh, how about this? Some of our seafood lovers would go for the sashimi. Any sushi lovers out there? Yeah, go for it. I'm with you. Uh, on our seventh year, was it our seventh year anniversary? I think our seventh year anniversary, Jen and I wanted to mix it up and, and we never had sushi before. So I'm like, this is going to be a year where we try new things. So we tried sushi. And we loved it, so uh, that, that, uh, that was a few years ago. All right, and there's, there's caviar. Anyone here like caviar? Uh, okay, I thought we are Lakewood Ranch, right? I thought Lakewood Ranch likes caviar. Well, we like the name caviar, but if you've actually tried it, maybe not so much. So caviar. Uh, these are truffles. Anyone like truffles? Truffles. Now, chocolate truffles are one thing, but the actual truffle itself, I found out, is a fungus. So when the guy told me that, I'm like, yeah, who wants that? <laughs> I'm good. But uh, truffle french fries? Now we're talking. All right, go, go for it next time. Um, and then there's double chocolate cake. How many of you splurge on dessert? You go for the dessert. Like, hey, I'm going to have a normal meal, but we're really splurging. All right. Now, good job. Thank you for that. Now, some of us, let's be, let me speak to the other side, not that you guys are the other side, but, but some of us, we're maybe not fiscally um, capable of treating ourselves to sashimi or truffles or chocolate cake, but um, for us, raise your hand, if splurging for you means getting the double gordita crunch at Taco Bell, that's you, I'm the double gordita crunch. All right, and let me just address the last group here today. Some of you, you're like, hey, eating at a restaurant? No, 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 no. For us, when we're splurging, here it is, we put cheese on our ramen. That is splurging for us. Okay, some of you are there. Okay, so these are what we call delicacies. These are splur- These are things we don't normally eat. We go a little bit like kind of top shelf for these. These are choice or expensive foods. 
And these are not the dishes, by the way, that the average person in the world is eating on the daily. Okay? Um, but what is, is bread. Bread. John Corson says this, as we open up today, he says, The human being can survive longer on bread than on any other substances. Although it is baked in different ways and fixed in different forms, bread is truly cross-cultural. It's also extremely palatable, for most of us eat some sort of bread every day. Unless you're here and you're, you know, gluten uh, inconsistent, uh, then you probably don't eat bread. But as we begin this new series, we're continuing through the Gospel of John. We're a church that teaches verse by verse through the Scripture. And we have been going through the Gospel of John, uh, verse by verse. And today we're going to see the first of Jesus' I Am statements. He makes seven statements where he proclaims who he is, I Am. And today as we look at John chapter 6, this is a very insightful one. Jesus says in this text that he is, he says, I am the bread of life. I am the bread that came down from heaven. And so Jesus is going to draw, pay attention, he's going to draw an analogy between the manna that came down for the children of Israel. And he's saying, that's me. In fact, I'm greater than that. I'm better than that bread. All of us this morning are hungry for something. We're all craving something. Uh, Maybe it is bread. Some of you heard that we are having Shipley's, and that's why you're here this morning. And you're excited that we're going to be having donuts, and I'm one of you, right? I'm excited that there are going to be donuts after service. Uh, Maybe it's not that. Maybe it's something different. But we're all searching for something. Maybe it's success. Maybe recognition. Maybe it's fame. Uh, Maybe it's power. Uh, Different people have said we're hungry for different things. But if we were to put a sign out front of the YMCA next Sunday that said, Hey, free food here. Come and get it. We would never be short of having a great line of people coming to get bread, coming to get food. However, if we were to put a sign that says, Receive spiritual uh, truth here, right? Then we would have an easier time gathering crickets than we would gathering people. And so I want to open with this quote this morning. This is a thought that I wanted to challenge us with right from the very beginning. Here it is. Some of us are so focused on satisfying our stomachs that we neglect our souls. Some of us are so focused on satisfying the kind of basic human materialistic needs that we neglect our soul. There may be some of you here today, and I've seen some of the posts. There's the Instagram mirror shot after the workout. It's like, hey, arm day today, looking swole, hashtag woke, or whatever it is. You know, these guys are posting these pictures of themselves. And that's the focus. It's all about the outward. Rather than realizing this morning that, listen church, we're spiritually hungry and we're desperately thirsty. And only Jesus can satisfy. Amen? Only Jesus can satisfy. As we look at this text, we're going to see that Jesus is God's provision for our spiritual hunger. And we're going to see a great parallel today between the wilderness, the Israelites looking for bread, and who Jesus is himself. Now, As we kind of set this up, I want you to imagine for a minute being Israel in the wilderness. Just picture for a minute, you're a young boy, a young girl, and you've grown up and all you've known is Egypt. All you've known is what it's like to grow up in the dynasty uh, that existed within Egypt. And so you've got kind of your Israeli, uh, so to speak, subculture with your traditions and your, your, um, the things that you would do as a, as a community. But you also kind of like the, the delicacies, the food of Egypt. You like the fact that there's kind of some things in culture around you that you kind of are enjoying the world around you. And yet 
miraculously, God separates you as a people out from Egypt through some very deadly, very scary, and very powerful signs and wonders. And so these plagues kind of cause you to be called out from Egypt uh, as a nation. And you, just picture, you were there as the, the basin opens up and the Red Sea is part of it. You walk through it safely. And then you turn around and there, those pillars of water kind of collapse on to Pharaoh's army and wipe him out. And it's this amazing provision of God's redemption and God's deliverance. And you just erupt into this loud chorus of praise as you sang alongside Moses and Miriam and just were dancing with joy. And, and that loud crash of water was eclipsed by the loud worship of two million plus people all together realizing God just delivered us. Just imagine for a minute, you begin to now trek towards that promised place that God had for you. And as you're heading there, as you're traversing there, suddenly it's been a few weeks and you're starting to get hungry. Yes, you've plundered the Egyptians. You've got all this gold, but there's nothing to spend it on. You're, there's no food. You're in the wilderness. So now you're starting to get hungry. Well, let's just be honest. You're getting hangry and you're thirsty. And you actually, as a community, find a place of water. And yet that water, we're told in Exodus, is bitter. You can't drink it. It's undrinkable. So Moses does some things. You're able to kind of quench the thirst temporarily. But you begin to be very hungry. And as a nation, Israel looked everywhere except to the Lord for their provision. And so miraculously, one night, God, as the dew kind of settles in the morning, causes this kind of flaky substance to land on the ground. And you taste it, and it's sweet, and it's, it's kind of confusing. It's, what is it? And that's what, what is it is in Hebrew, is manna. What is it? It's, it's called, what is it? And so as you eat it, you go, this is fulfilling. This is good. And so what they didn't realize is that God could miraculously provide their physical needs, but they were failing to see that God could also provide their spiritual needs. So when we look at John 6 today, we also see a very hungry crowd. We see a large gathering in the wilderness, hungry, thirsty, yearning, looking for someone to fill their stomachs, but not realizing that God's gift had descended from heaven and was right there to fulfill them. So if you guys are taking notes, this is where we're going to go today. We're going to breeze through this section of scripture. And again, I want to encourage you to read it at home and to get all of the verses. But we're going to see Jesus doing three things in this text. You can take a picture of the screen or drop this down. Jesus, first of all, is going to expose their motives, the motives of these men. Secondly, he's going to explain who he is, the bread of life. And thirdly, Jesus will emphasize who indeed is saved. All right, so that's where we're going today. Uh, let's go ahead and look at verse 22. It says, On the following day, when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw there was no boat there, except the one that his disciples had entered, and Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, uh, he goes on and explains, John explains, uh, that they basically were waiting for Jesus, and they realized he wasn't there. So verse 22 tells us this is the following day from our study last week. The day after the miracle of Jesus feeding the 5,000 men from this small little lunch. And so at first glance, the people seem really concerned that Jesus has arrived. If you notice in verse 24, they were seeking Jesus. Okay? There's even some people, as they notice, hey, Jesus isn't on the boat. Hey, we didn't see him get on the boat with the disciples. There's even some people who are so concerned that they leave Tiberias and they land right ahead of the disciples. Uh, and so they're like, wait, what's going on? Where's Jesus? And verse 24 says they found him uh, in Capernaum. And then they asked them in verse 25, hey, when did you get here? 
Okay? But like always, Jesus doesn't answer their question directly because he knows their motives. They're like, hey, when did you get here, Jesus? Like they're really concerned about it. Um, they're asking, how are you here? But Jesus turns the question back on them and says, mm, why are you here? Why are you here? Look at verse 26. Jesus answered them and said, most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, no, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. That's why you're here. You're here because you want a handout. In verse 27, Jesus encourages them to not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which I, the Son of Man, will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him or on me. Jesus, notice he says, you seek me not because you know who I am, but because of what I do for you. In other words, you want the hand of God without the face of God. But Jesus uses this phrase, most assuredly. You guys see that in your Bibles? Go ahead and circle that for me or highlight it. Uh, make sure you note that because we're going to see a, a two more of those. There's three of them in this section. Uh, you could translate that. Some of you have a different translation. It could be verily, verily. It could be truly, truly. It's a repetitive statement where Jesus is saying, hey, what I'm about to say is absolutely trustworthy. And, and there's three of these trustworthy statements. So the first one here is Jesus revealing their wrong motives. He's saying, I tell you the truth. You're not here for the I am. You're here for the I give. You're not just here for me. You're here for something I have to offer you. And so Jesus says, listen, guys, don't labor for the food that it's going to perish but the food that endures to everlasting life that I will give you. Why? He says in verse 27, because God the Father has set his seal on me. Now, today, have your attention, we don't really have seals necessarily where we stamp things. We have signatures today. And so some of you kids are learning how to do cursive. I figured out a while ago, you know what cursive is for, it's to learn how to sign your name. Okay, so don't shrink back kids from cursive, it's good. Learn how to sign your name. Sometimes we sign really big signatures. Sometimes they're minuscule. But all of us have a signature. The idea is I'm putting my name on this. And if my name is on this, then it's as good as if I am willing uh, to pay for it myself. Jesus is saying that God has given his signature upon me, his stamp of approval given at the baptism that declares that anything that I give you is as good as God the Father giving you. Uh, William Barclay says this, in commercial uh, and political documents, it was the seal imprinted with the signet ring which made the document valid. It was the seal which authenticated a will. It was the seal on the mouth of a sack or a crate that guaranteed the contents. Uh, in Ephesians, we're told, chapter 1, that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. God has stamped his seal of redemption upon you and I. And so Jesus says, hey, the Father has stamped his seal upon me. Uh, so then notice verse 27. Jesus says, so guys, don't labor. Don't labor for the food that perishes. Labor for the food that endures. So, of course, there's a guy in the audience who's like, labor? Oh, we're supposed to labor? And so look at verse uh, 28. This is kind of the cry of mankind. The cry of legalistic, self-righteous religion. Okay? Look at verse 28. This is the cry of self-righteous legalism. What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Religion says, what do I need to do? Yet Jesus says, done. Right? Religion says, do. And Jesus says, done. 
Jesus' response in verse 29, listen, it's the same today as it was 2,000 years ago. It's not like anything's changed. Look at the verse 29, where Jesus says, hey, you desire to merit salvation? Here you go. Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God. Here it is. Ready? There's someone in the audience going, okay, what is it? I, I got to do something. Right, I got I to do my spiritual calisthenics. Here's the work of God. I need to do some, some Christian jumping jacks. And I need to make sure I'm reading my Bible every morning. And I need to make sure I pray in Old English. Thou is, must, well, I'm sorry, I've got to pray like that. And I need to make sure that uh, I give a certain amount. And, and so we all are thinking, this is the work I need to do. Here's what Jesus says. This is the work of God. That you, what does your verse say? Yell it out. That you believe, that you believe in him whom he sent. Jesus says, hey, what's the labor you need to do? Here it is, believe. McDonald says this, many are seeking to earn their way to heaven by good works. But before they can do good works for God, they must first believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Good works do not precede salvation, they follow it. The only good work a sinner can do is to confess his sins and receive Christ as Lord and Savior. On Friday night at Playroom, Ryan Tansky was teaching, and he said, you know, we don't work for our salvation, we work from our salvation. So that's a great way of putting it. We work from it. We're to believe. And Jesus says, you want to do work? Here it is. Place your faith in me. In other words, the only work that you can do is really not to work, but rather to rest in my finished work and believe in the one who the Father sent to provide salvation through my death and resurrection. If that doesn't get an amen, we might as well pack it up today. I mean, that to me is an incredibly freeing verse. Amen? We no longer have to work. We can rest in the finished work of Christ. And so the work of God is to believe. Now, even with Jesus saying an amazing thing like that, the men arguing with him have this sinful audacity to say what they say next in verse 30. I can't believe they said this. Look at verse 30. Therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform? That we may see and believe you. What work will you do? Now, they had no idea what he was about to do. He was about to die and rise again. But anyway. Then they said this. Our fathers, the Israelites, we, they ate the manna in the desert. Um, and then they, they quote some scriptures. So you guys see the root problem here? Uh, this is the, the M.O. of the unbeliever. Okay, let me, let me put it on the screen. You don't believe me. This is textbook unbeliever. Okay? There's kind of a, an interest in God based solely for what he can do for them. So like, yeah, I'm kind of interested in the things of God or in church because there's something that I get. Secondly, there's a demand for a sign to prove that he's God. I'll believe you if you'll show me. I want to see it. And thirdly, there's a promise to believe after seeing the sign. So as long as God would show himself, then then I'll believe. Uh, That may be you here today. You may be an unbeliever, meaning, yeah, I'm not really into Christianity. I don't really know who Jesus is. But if I were to see uh, evidence, then I would be quick to place my faith in him. Uh, and so often when we talk to unbelievers, why they don't believe in God, they would say, well, you know, I'm kind of interested in what God can do for me. And, and I'd like to see uh, what he would do. But listen, faith always comes uh, before sight in God's order. Let me say that again. Faith always comes before sight in God's order. Woody Allen, the director has been quoted as saying, that's kind of a funny Woody Allen quote. He said, if only God would give me some clear sign, like making a large deposit in my name at a Swiss bank account, (laughs) then I'll believe. Uh, People want to see a sign, but it has literally been less than 24 hours since he fed them miraculously. And so what they want is more bread. And that's why they bring up the manna. 
Like, hey, you know, our fathers ate bread in the wilderness, hint, hint, yesterday. Uh, it'd be nice if we, hint, hint, had more bread like we did yesterday and like our fathers did. Can you do something like Moses? And so Jesus exposes their motives. And this morning, church, he exposes our motives. Jesus says to you this morning, truly, truly, I say to you that you may not be here because you're seeking me. Maybe you're here to impress someone. And maybe you're here for selfish motives. Maybe you're trying to be a part of a church where you're a person of authority or rather than a person of humility. You're here and you're not interested in the things of, of the Lord. You're interested in yourself. Augustine said, idolatry is worshiping anything that ought to be used or using anything that is meant to be worshipped. Wow. And many of us have those same false motives that these men have. But listen, we're not to use Jesus. We're to receive him. And so the Jews that are arguing with Jesus here are about to hear the second most assuredly statement from him. And that's our second point where Jesus explains who he is. Look at verse 32. We're moving quickly. Jesus said to him, most assuredly, I say to you. This is radical. He says, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven. But my father gives you the true bread from heaven. In other words, it wasn't Moses that provided. God provided it. And then he says in verse 33, for the bread of God is he, not a what, it's a he, who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. The word manna means what is it? But it really should be who is it? Not what is it, who is it? Jesus says, it's me. I'm the bread, I'm the manna. And I come down from heaven and give life to the world. And then they said to him in verse 34, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said in verse 35, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. Now, if you guys have a pen or a highlighter, or you've got the Bible app and you're following along the notes, please jot down or circle, highlight those words, I am. Those are incredibly important. They're the Greek words, ego, I, me. Uh, I am is the name of God, or the name for God that was given to Moses in Exodus chapter 3. Remember, Moses is like, hey, who should I say is sending me? How am I going to go? How am I going to tell the people in Pharaoh who sent me? And so look at the screen, Exodus 3. Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And, and in the Septuagint, translated the, uh, the Hebrew into Greek, the word is ego, I mean, I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. The phrase I am means I am who I am, or I will be who I, who I will be, or I cause to be what is. Just as an application point, he's not the I was or I might be. He's the I am. He always will be. He's the I am. He's, as Jeremy Camp used to say, he's whatever you need him to be. He's, he's our source of provision. And I need something today, Lord. He says, I am. I am that. I am what you need. And so we're going to see Jesus using this phrase um, in kind of big, seven big statements in this series. And from John chapter 6 through uh, 16, we're going to see these phrases. So Jesus says, who am I? I am the bread of life. In other words, I'm life's sustenance. When you come to me, you never hunger, you never thirst again spiritually. Notice, church, Jesus did not say, I am the filet mignon of life, wrapped with bacon. Jesus did not say, I'm the caviar of life. I am the truffle oil of life. No, why? Because those are only delicacies that a favored few can enjoy. 
Jesus picks a common staple that all of us can relate to, that all of us have daily and throughout the day. Some of us each meal of the day. You find bread on the poor man's table and on the rich man's table. Both the king and peasant alike are partaking of bread. In almost every country and culture, bread is that simple means for sustaining life. I guess he could have said, I am the beans and rice of life. It's, it's that daily um, basic necessity. He's the bread of life. Now, it's interesting on the screen, a seed of grain, very, very interesting, gets planted in the ground. And then sometime later, a few weeks later, it sprouts and it grows to maturity. And eventually that same grain gets cut down, ground up and put into the fire. And it's only by being thoroughly baked in the fire that it's then enjoyed by humanity. What an awesome picture that Jesus says, that's what's going to happen to me. I'm going to grow. I'm going to be grown to maturity. I'm going to be taken. I'm going to be ground up and burned in the fire, so to speak, by the wrath of God, the judgment of God. And then one, whatever comes out will be beneficial and enjoyed by all humanity. Uh, but look at the next verse. Look at verse 36. Jesus said, I said to you that you've seen me and yet do not believe. And all the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. I will by no means cast out. Now, this section of scripture, I think, I believe, are some of the, listen, most encouraging verses in all of scripture. What an amazing reassurance that Jesus gives to you and to me. Now, I've heard, even from our, some in our own church, some people struggling with the assurance of salvation, right? Some people, I think I might lose my salvation if I have a bad Friday. Or like, Sunday's great. I am definitely going to heaven. But by the time it's Friday, I'm just not sure. I'm kind of struggling, and I, I'm, like, blowing it. I might lose my salvation. I'd say, okay, well, yeah, if you can lose your salvation, you will, all right? Because you're a sinner. I'm a sinner. But see, what Jesus says here, and I think many of us don't understand the assurance of our salvation. Uh, you may not have meditated on this passage, because Jesus, notice he says, the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. So if you've come to Jesus, he's not going to say, hey, this is a little awkward. You know, I don't know how, how um, I don't know how you got here, but you're here. And so uh, unfortunately, I'm going to have to send you packing. So goodbye. You're out. Okay. Uh, you're on your way to hell. Now, verse 39 says, I should lose nothing. Verse 40 says, everyone who sees the son and believes in him may have everlasting life. I just want to encourage you with that today. That if you're wrestling with the, the, the assurance of your salvation, you need to read this text again. You need to read 1 John and know that, you'll, that you're saved. Um, Charles Spurgeon says it like this. This may be really encouraging for someone here today who's wrestling with us. Spurgeon, in a way only he could, said, Let it ring down the corridors of hell and let every devil dance for joy as he hears that Christ has broken his promise and is untrue to his character. Whenever you hear of one who comes to him, whom he casts out. I challenge all time, I challenge heaven and earth and hell to bring a case in which my Lord and Master ever cast out a soul that put its trust in him. It cannot be. Right? Encourage that today. Amen. Now, notice the tension of verse 37. The Father has given Jesus an inheritance. The Father initiates that saving grace, and yet it appears that people will come to Him and express a desire to receive salvation. And Jesus said, if someone comes to me, I'm not going to cast them out. So, am I saved? Well, have you, have you come to Jesus? Have you had faith that comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God? Then you're saved. You need to rest in that assurance today. Who is Jesus? He's the bread of life. Have you received Him? 
Now, I don't want to give false assurances. If you've not received Jesus, you've not come to him. The scripture is clear. You're condemned already. And, and you're on your way to an eternity apart from him. You stand condemned today. And today you can receive Christ. He stands available, ready and willing to save by his grace. And so those who receive him are nourished by him. They're sustained by him. Here's my fear. We're talking about food. One of my favorite topics. But uh, my fear is that some of us, so to speak, can rattle off the menu. Uh, We can go to the restaurant and we can rattle off the menu and quote the verses without actually knowing what the food tastes like. Uh, The other day, uh, I don't know if this has ever happened, if you've ever gone to a restaurant and asked the server what their favorite dish was. Uh, My wife and I, we were at uh, Taco Bell the other day. uh, And uh, we... uh, no, we were at a restaurant. We, we asked the server, hey, like, what are your favorite, what's your favorite dish? What do you recommend? Or have you tried this? And she actually said, oh, I, I haven't tried anything yet. I, I'm new here. I haven't eaten anything. And so we didn't really count on her word at all. We needed someone. I almost wanted to say, can we, get, can we have another table? Can we find someone who has actually tried the dish? Uh, maybe that's you. You're like, you know, I can recount all the stats about Christ, but I've never actually partaken of the bread of life. Have you received Jesus as Lord and Savior? The scripture says you're saved, you're born again. So rest in that. Now, he really points out this idea more deeply in this third section where he uh, emphasizes who is saved. Okay, so uh, these, these three points kind of build on themselves, okay? If there's people that say they're coming to Jesus, but they have the wrong motives, and Jesus says, I'm the bread of life given for spiritual hunger, then the question is, okay, who is really saved by him? Okay. Uh, and so uh, what we uh, want to look at is verse 41. The Jews then complained about him. Why? Because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. That may upset even your sensibilities today. You need to receive him like bread into the body. And they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother, we know, we know him. He's from Nazareth. How is it then that he says, I've come down from heaven? This will be, by the way, uh, an argument that will continue to be brought up uh, throughout John's gospel. Well, we know who your dad is. We, we know who Joseph is. We know your backstory, your illegitimacy. We know you didn't come down from heaven. So this is going to continue. But Jesus answered and said, do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I'll raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Now, look at verse 44 again. Here Jesus again emphasizes the fact, listen, no one can come to the Father unless the Father is first drawing he or she. Okay? That should not discourage you if you've drawn near to God. It's actually encouraging. That means the Father's drawn me. Okay? If you show any interest in Jesus, the Father was at work in that. And so that should encourage us, guys. If you have co-workers, family, and they're showing any interest in church or in spiritual things, maybe they quote something inspirational, that should encourage you. Hey, maybe the Father's at work. I'm going to cancel my plans. I'm going to direct some attention and prayer and strike up a conversation because the Father's doing a work here. Uh, this verse... 44 shows the amazing initiation of the Father in our regeneration. Some of us think like, hey, you know, you don't know my story. Like, I came to Christ. Like, I through hell and high water. I fought and I, I made the decision for Christ. Well, that's cool. Well, behind the scenes, 
kind of cute. Like you're, you're awesome. But behind the scenes, the Father was the one who was drawing you and initiating that. I, I love the hymn by Charles Wesley where he says, Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Leave that up for a minute. You see who initiated? We were imprisoned. We were bound in sin. And then he opens our eyes. And we then awake to faith and eternal life. And that should bring us incredible delight and eternal peace this morning. Uh, We should rest in this incredible doctrinal truth that God the Father initiates salvation and then draws us to himself. So look at verse 47. Here's the third truly, truly statement. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. Can we amen that today? Amen. He who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Reiterate it. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. What an awesome drop the mic statement. Hey, your fathers ate the manna. They're dead. I'm a little bit better than that. He says, this is the bread which comes down from heaven. You may eat of it and not die spiritually. And then he goes further. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. And if anyone eats of this bread, me, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give him is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Now, it may go without saying, but when Jesus says, eat the bread of the life, eat of the bread of life, we definitely understand this word picture. Okay? He was not literally bread any more than he was literally a lion or literally a lamb, but we understand Jesus as those two things. Now, D.A. Carson points out that we use this kind of language about eating. Here it is on the screen. We devour books, right? Some of you. Anyone devour books? Love reading. We drink in lectures. Anybody a podcaster out there? Good to see both of you are. Uh, We swallow stories, we ruminate on ideas, we chew over a matter, and we eat our own words. Doting grandparents, any of those here today? They declared they could eat up their grandchildren. Ever said that? Oh, I could eat him up, right? Well, if we're being literal here, that's a little cannibalistic and and weird, right? The idea, we get it, we're partaking, we're receiving. We can't get enough of it. We got to eat that up. We got to consume it. We're feasting on it. Notice, church, don't be distracted by kids because they're amazing today. Don't be distracted. Listen, we believe in him and we have everlasting life. And we receive that life from Jesus. I want to welcome um, our ushers to prepare communion. And we're going to partake communion together in just a few moments. And they're going to be passing some trays across the aisle. And what we're going to do is we're each going to grab one set of cups. Okay, when you go to grab a cup, there's two cups. There's a top cup with juice and a bottom cup with bread. Here's what I want to just address real quick. Parents, this is the first time we've taken communion other than Good Friday on a Sunday with our, with our children. Right? And so what I want to do, I've asked you to have your kids sit with you. Uh, communion is for the believer. Okay? So if your kids have not yet professed Jesus... Maybe you just explain to them, hey, today we're going to sit out of communion. You don't understand what it is. Mom and dad, older brother, older sister, we're going to partake. We're going to explain more about what this is later today at home. All right? But if your kids are saved, they've been baptized, you know where they're at, then we want you to, as the parent, uh, go ahead and offer communion to your children. And hold on to the elements, everybody. Don't, don't you know, take it. We'll take it together in a few moments. Okay. So as those are being distributed... I want to close with three important points, all right? So go ahead and close your Bibles up. 
get settled, I want to close with three important points. And we'll put them on the screen. First of all, Jesus is the true and better Moses. He's the true and better Moses. Moses led the children of Israel through the wilderness, but it was called the wilderness of sin. Of all things, to call it that, it's just interesting to me. The wilderness of sin. Jesus leads his children through green pastures. Earlier in John chapter 6, it says they sat down and there was green grass for them to enjoy. I love that picture. Moses was unable to usher in the children of Israel into the land of promise. Moses was unable to do that. And listen, the law is unable to bring us into the fullness of the life in the spirit. Jesus is able to lead us where the law is unable. Jesus brings us into the life of grace where the law was unable. And so Jesus' church is a true and better Moses. Secondly, Jesus is the true and better manna. And we'll go ahead and just start distributing those elements now. The manna came down from heaven at the prayer of Moses. And the people ate the manna and they were still hungry. But those who receive Jesus will eat and never hunger again. And Jesus says, those people who ate the manna died and they grew hungry again. And this had to be a daily thing. And yet Jesus brings the manna that we receive and we never hunger and thirst again. Thirdly, Jesus is the true and better rock. The rock? What rock? Well, in that story in Exodus, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 tells us something very insightful. Where Paul says, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud. They all passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food of manna. They all ate, uh, drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. Do you remember what happened there? They came to a place of testing Meribah, where they basically were like contending. They were contentious. They were grumbling. And they wanted to be having their, their thirst quenched. And God tells Moses, take your staff and strike the rock. This is the oddest thing I've ever heard of in life. For you to take a stick and hit a rock. If I were Moses, I'd say, okay, is there anyone else up there? Like, you, you want me to do what, Lord? You want me to take my staff and strike a rock? But it says in Exodus, there, you struck the rock, water flowed from the rock. Later, as the children of Israel are making their kind of 40-year pilgrimage, they come back to that place. And God, listen, God instructs Moses, don't strike the rock, Moses. Speak to the rock. In other words, the rock doesn't need to be struck a second time. It was struck once, and from that striking, nourishment, the, the water flowed from it. And people were able to drink of that spiritual drink. And yet Moses disobeys. He takes the... the the staff, and he says, you rebels, you disobedient, he strikes the rock a second time. And God says, no, 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 you've, you've marred the picture of who Christ is. You've marred it. You've struck the rock a second time. And we're not to strike Jesus a second time. We're to come, we're to speak to him. By faith, we approach the rock, Jesus. And so Jesus is a true and better rock. He was struck once, not twice. Hebrews tells us that he was sacrificed once for all. 
And so this morning, he is a true and better Moses. He leads us beside the still waters to green pastures. He's a true and better manna. You can receive Jesus today. And maybe there's some of you here today not a believer. You've not yet received the true and better manna. And your soul is longing for something. I would ask you, brother, sister, how's your soul? Younger, older, how's your soul? I didn't ask you how you're doing on the outside. How's your bank account? How's your marriage? How's your soul? And I want to see, is there anyone here today that wants to receive Jesus? To take him into your life, so to speak. To receive him and believe him and place your faith on him for salvation. The Bible says you're condemned, you're a sinner. But by placing your faith in Jesus, today can be the new day for you. You can be transformed from the inside out. Born again by the Spirit. Is there anyone here today? that wants to be saved, raise your hand. And I want to pray for you this morning. And we'll give you some understanding of what that looks like and walk you through what salvation is. There's a bright light, so I can't see all the faces. Is there anyone here who want to receive Jesus? Raise your hand to know him by faith. We give opportunities like this often because we want to not forsake the idea that there could be someone at any of our gatherings who doesn't know Jesus. And so maybe not in the service, but... Maybe after service, you can come and approach someone to know Jesus. I want to close with the pastor's challenge. And the pastor's challenge today is simply verse 34. May we pray this daily and always, where they said, Lord, give us this bread always. That's my challenge for you. Some of you have been saved for 20 years, 30 years, 15 years, 10 minutes, whatever it is. You've been saved for a while. And you're like, yeah, I've moved on from, you know, the basics. I, I kind of want the deep stuff. No, we, we always come back to our daily bread. Jesus said, Father, give us this day our daily bread. We don't move on beyond the gospel. So today, would you be willing to pray that prayer? Lord, give me your bread. Give me more of Jesus today. I want you to bow your heads. There was a story I want to close with. Many years ago, a Christian from India was giving out gospel tracts. And uh, he was handing them to some non-Christians in the railway train area. And he offered a man uh, John's gospel. And the man took it and ripped it up in anger. Did not want to hear it. And as he got on the train, he threw the pieces of the track out the window. Or of the gospel of John out the window. And they kind of landed on the track. And it just so happened that hours later, an Indian man was walking by. Who was desperate and searching and looking. And he looked down and in his own language, on one of the scraps of paper was the phrase, I am the bread of life. Well, he didn't know what that meant, and so he asked his friends, and they said, no, 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 that's from a Christian book. Do not read it. You'll be defiled. And he thought for a minute, and he said, no, I want to read the book that contains that beautiful phrase. And so he found and bought a copy of the New Testament. And he was shown where that sentence occurred. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And as this unbeliever studied the gospel, light flooded his heart, and he came to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, and one day became a preacher in the central provinces of India. That little paper, that little phrase, was indeed the breath, the bread of life to him and satisfied his deepest need. Have you received the bread of life? Today we're going to receive communion together. And I just want to pray for you before we walk into that time. Is there anyone here today? Say, Pastor, pray for me. As our heads are, are, are bowed, our eyes are closed, pray for me. I want to make much of Jesus, to know more of Jesus. I need to receive more of Jesus today. I'm a follower of him. But I forget he is my daily nourishment. Would you raise your hand so I can pray for you? You just want more of Jesus in your life. Awesome, let me pray. Father.
Father, thank you for sending the manna from heaven, the true bread. Thank you for Jesus. We, today, in just a moment, as we partake of the bread and the cup, we're reminded of what Jesus did on our behalf. And so, Lord, thank you for being sufficient, for being the I am, what we need. You have all that we need. And so we want to, for the rest of our service, just look to the Son with gratitude. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Shoreline Church meets every Sunday at 10 a.m. at the Lakewood Ranch YMCA. For more content, visit our website, thisisshoreline.com. Make sure to tune in next time as we continue our study through the Gospel of John in the series, I Am.